0: Harness the power of podcasts. Yeah, I'm sticking with that. This is Retro Trigger, where we talk about all things retro, with a different guest each and every month. We might have to change that disclaimer shortly. But anyway, by our definition of retro, it is anything that is 15 years older or older. (sighs) Anyway, we're talking about dino-riders today, and who better to talk about dino-riders than the man who I'm assured and have physical evidence has ridden dinosaurs himself, Mr. Trent... Ch- uh... Mr. Um... Chickarelli?
1: C- Cookarelli. Cookarelli. And the way I get people to remember that is it's like cooking a relative. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Once, once you've got that, you're in. Uh,
0: remember, kids, cook your ellies, and then you too can have podcasts, just like Trent does. So, Trent, we've had one of your uh, co-hosts from the Toy Power podcast, Ben Sachs, uh, on the show previously talking about He-Man. Uh, we are currently sitting in your toy room. Um, my God, uh, this place is a thing of beauty. You know in Aladdin, where there's that Cave of Wonders... Yeah, think of that, but just toys everywhere. I've actually taken some pictures, and I'm going to put them up on the Retro Trigger Instagram. Uh, you need to check out Trent's collection. Uh, but Trent, tell us more about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And what is all this splendor I'm sitting in?
1: Yeah, so look, I'm a self-confessed toy collector, and the evidence is all around. Um, I've been collecting since the late 90s. So, big into action figures. Uh, things I grew up with predominantly in the 80s Uh, what inspires my collection. So you see a lot of Masters of the Universe, Ninja Turtles, Transformers, Batman and DC, uh, that Ghostbusters, that sort of thing. But you know, a big one and a huge thing towards the, the later 80s, 87 sort of-ish, Dino Riders. One of the best oh, toy lines imaginable. Shocked. Such a great toy line. And yes... Ride dinosaurs at, at any opportunity I get. Um, laser guns, all that sort of thing. But yeah, another big passion of mine is Lego.
0: Yes! And, so you're uh, on the Lego Masters show.
1: Correct. Yeah, it was, it was enough. It, funnily enough, it was... I guess my love and passion for toy collecting was one of the drivers to go on Lego Masters. But two was was the podcast we do toy power podcast mm-hmm. where we interviewed one of the season one contestants billsy right who uh, was paired up with kale and and you know kale was an amazing builder but probably considered the villain of season one oh. with the way he approached the show very very confident in his own ability and it was his undoing in the end but his partner on the show was was a lovely guy Bilzy who we had on the show and he just made a passing comment if you ever get the chance to audition I'd recommend it because it was such a fun experience. And until that point, I'd never considered even applying for it. Right. And it was just planted the seed. Okay, what have I got to lose from throwing in an application?
0: Yeah. And what, you just signed up online and they gave you a buzz and said, hey, come and uh, talk to some guys. Pretty much.
1: It's just like a job interview. You put in an application online, fill out a form. They get in touch. You do some interviews culminates in a I guess a live build in front of the head producer and a few of the staff right where you've got a th- three hours to do a challenge mm-hmm. um but that's yeah it's just like an interview and uh and then you find out if you got the job or not
0: right and we all know that these type of reality tv it, it lands up to the editors in the editing room to develop a story and develop villains you mentioned that Bilsey was a bit of a oh, he was not the villain his partner was the correct villain. yes um So, did you feel the need to fill into a role, or did they give you a role to sort of focus on, or you were just you and they just went, all right, this is what we're going to do?
1: Correct. This was all about the builds. So, Lego Masters is a bit of a different reality TV show in the sense that it's a creative show where they don't really want controversy. They really want to focus... Yeah, true. They they don't... (laughs) Exactly. Well, it it caters to maybe a different market. So, if you want controversy, you can go to a an inordinate amount of reality TV shows out there. But if you're in it for sort of more the inspirational side, more to see creative builds, more to see camaraderie between teams and, and there's no backstabbing. There's no ill will. That was very much what Lego Masters was about. So, and that was one of the questions I had for Bilzi in our interview was how much of it was you how much of it was you having to play a character? Or how much of it was the edit making you look a certain way? And he said, look, what you see on the show is 100% how I am in real life.
0: Oh, cool. So that
1: was that's really good to know a that nice going on. Yeah. yeah, because you
0: can clearly see where they have edited. You might say something like, oh, you know, I'm a nice guy, but uh, I really don't like it when people don't give me flowers. Uh, it really gets my goat, but hey, that's okay. I'm fine with that. And they go, right, edit. Yep. I don't like it when people don't give me flowers. Dun, dun, dun. Edit,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a lot the editors can do.
0: I hate those flower reality shows. <laughs> yeah, rubbish.
1: Irene by flowers. Um yeah, <laughs> it's it's the worst. But there's a lot they can do and there was a few moments where you'd be saying something and there's cameras everywhere. So yep. whatever you said is recorded and you just be oh, if they wanted to, they could make me look like a real idiot right now. But thankfully, you know, They didn't do that too much. The rest of it, I did myself.
0: Man, I would be so tempted just to play the bad guy and just to up that bad guy butthead role. Man, that would be so much fun to have (laughs) be hated by everyone within uh, the greater LEGO building community. Now, how much LEGO have you really got around the place? I saw a huge couple of sets out in the front room there.
1: Yeah, I split the collection into kind of two parts. There's the toys and there's the LEGO. So I've been collecting LEGO I mean, I've got my childhood stuff, which is in the kitchen area. So, a lot of that Knight's Castle thing. Yeah, well, I mean, the, that's where you keep Lego. Yeah, exactly. Next right? to the colander. Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. So, I can, you know, enjoy it while I'm cooking up a store. That's right. <laughs> but, so, that, that's that got its kind of own separate spot. But, what got me back into Lego was, essentially, the Star Wars license that they picked up in 99 for that Phantom Menace. saved their but It did, not. it like, did. Like,
0: Lego, in the late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. just went Meow, yeah. And then as soon as the uh, prequels came along and they picked up that license, all of a sudden, bang, straight up. And now it, there's just no stopping it.
1: Yeah, the licensed products are huge. Also, I mean, the in-house stuff is brilliant. But I think there was a period in the 90s that you mentioned where I'm, I'm thinking it seems like digital characters were being introduced for the first time with these shows. And there was like Max Power or Max Steel or something. And a lot of the sets were, okay, the cockpit for the helicopter mm. is a whole big piece. And the back half of the helicopter is another big piece. So you're building these sets with limited moves, right? And Lego was all about lots of blocks putting together to make a model. So they'd gone away from that in the, in the 90s. They brought in a lot of elements. Mm. And I think people were sort of just unsatisfied by the sets and what was being built and it really was like you said the licensed products yep. going back to basics yep. that sort of saved them
0: it's definitely the builds that are the most interesting I remember my partner bought me the Millennium Falcon from a couple of years back the very first Force Awakens one yep. uh, and I went oh yeah that'll be fun I'll, I'll give that a go uh, it took me five and a half hours and I did it and I put it on my shelf and then one day I bumped it and it fell and broke in half and I went well it's going in the Lego box I'm not doing that again Yep. so that's where it lives now now we can talk about lego many many more minutes and hours but we're here to talk about dinosaurs specifically dinosaurs that shoot laser beams and fire at frog like aliens and that are uh, uh, good at saving the world or the history we're going to split this into two parts so we've got a big two-parter for you. This month, we've got uh, the TV show to talk about, and then next month, we are going to talk about the toy line. Uh, so be sure to subscribe so you can catch both of them. But let's get into the TV show. Um, before we do, what are your memories of the Dino Riders TV show?
1: I actually don't have a lot of memories of the really? show itself. I don't know if I saw any of it. I would have seen you know, clips and little bits and pieces, but I have gone back recently and rewatch the episodes.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like that. I talked about this with Ben and our He-Man and Masters of the Universe episode. Um, you go back and watch it now and go, "Yeah." Even the Ninja Turtles from the nineties. You, you look at it and go, it, "It's it's not good. <laughs> it's just not good at all." But back then, being someone, I watched the TV show. So my uh, mine started with I got the cardboard sleeve VHS of the very first episode. Yeah, I think I got it when I purchased. Well, I got given, uh, I think, young stars uh, pteranondon. Pteranondon or pterodactyl? What's he got?
1: Uh, he's got a pterodactyl, I He's reckon. got a pterodactyl. Yeah. The blue one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I got that for my birthday one year, eighth birthday, ninth birthday. I mean, I'm not old. Uh, and I watched that VHS over and over again. I still remember it started up with this kid in the museum, kind of like rotoscoped. Uh, and he walks, he hears a roar, and he wanders away yeah. from his class and goes in and has a look. And there's these uh, Triceratops skeleton and a T-Rex skeleton. And you hear faint roaring in the background. All of a sudden, lightning starts to come across them. They go, Rrr, and they move, and then they battle, and it goes, Psh, and you get to a screen crash of the uh, credits, the dino riders you go, wow, what is this? And yeah, sure enough, really, really simple story. They get right into it. Uh, the Valorians get chased by the... Uh, Uh, Rulons, and they get sucked back to prehistoric Earth, and then we, we go from there. But we'll talk about that first episode. But first, a little bit of background on it. Here we go. Airing as a part of the Marvel Action Universe, which debuted in 1988 with other classic cartoons, such as Robocop Kid Animated Show and uh, another one, which I can't remember because I didn't write it down, Dino Riders was primarily a promotional cartoon to sell Tycho toys of the same name, much like the original Transformers cartoon and countless other series from that time. And this was a genius marketing uh, scheme that uh, they did back in the 80s, where they had a toy line and they went, how are we going to sell it? Let's make a cartoon. And most of these cartoons didn't run for very long. They all all can't be success stories like Transformers or even... Masters of the Universe didn't have that many episodes either.
1: Uh, It had about 130 episodes. Okay, I'll take that back. (laughs)
0: Uh, But yeah, Dino Riders only had 14. Yeah. Uh, So very hit and miss. But these toys were everywhere. Uh, Only 14 episodes of Dino Riders was produced, as we mentioned before, with most people getting a taste of the Dino Riders in the form of VHS tapes that I talked about earlier. Yep. Uh, Did you ever see them? Uh, I I didn't
1: watch them, no. But I, in collecting, you do see them pop up quite a bit. The cardboard sleeve versions are very. I am desperately chasing
0: common. the cardboard sleeve version of that first episode. I again, in my many many moves as an adult, some of these things go missing, and that yep. was one of the things that hasn't made the cut, and unfortunately, no longer part of my collection. But I'm searching it down, and I'll find it once more. Tycho's head of research and development, Warren Bosch, stated that the initial idea for Dino Riders came from Tycho's marketing VIP, uh, VP, he's probably a VIP as well, Jim Alley, who simply said he wanted to combine dinosaurs and action figures somehow. That's pretty good. Yeah, pretty, pretty good way to be. Uh, according to Bosch, he came up with the idea that aliens visited Earth in the ancient past and combined their technology with the dinosaurs' natural abilities. You know, being big and being able to eat stuff. And being awesome. Uh, When illustrator Paul Kitchener joined the project, he said several ideas, such as the concept of the brain box, a device that would help writers control the dinosaurs, were already in place. During that time, Kitchener came up with the backstory and drew the comics that came with the toys. So much like Masters of the Universe, these came with little comics in the box that you could read that told the story. How much uh, exposure have you had to those comics, Trent?
1: I've got the comics I, I kind of feel like there's only one comic there's, and i just sort of reprinted yeah it. that's that's yeah. my feel correct me if i'm wrong but there's not a lot of content whereas masters of the universe they had a huge run of the mini comics um so there was a lot of the story told but this was yeah very much there was a formula back in the 80s that worked and it was you know a media tie-in so get your cartoon up and running Comics in package are brilliant, right? Because you can do the cross sell. You can oh, tell yeah. a story. You can plant the seeds for the kids to want to play with these things and collect more of the more of the toys. So that that was really a lot of toy lines followed that formula to you know a lot of success.
0: Yeah, and they don't really do anything like that anymore. It's all about cost cutting now, and and getting as much as you can, whereas you look at some of these old toys from the 80s, the Transformers, all die-cast metal, and, and all the other uh, robotic parts that came in the Dino Riders, the T-Rex, the Brontosaurus, the Diplodocus, they all walk. they were all motorized. Um, the Triceratops as well. Yep. These were fantastic things. Even little things like the Strachiosaurus, you uh, wiggled his tail and his head moved in yep. the opposite direction.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: these toys were fantastic, but we're going to talk about the toys in the second part, so don't let me get carried away and, and frothing about how good they are. Uh, funny you should mention the comic as well, uh, because there was a Marvel series of comics that were written by I can't recall now, um, but they also had the help of Doctor Robert Baker, a real life paleontologist, uh, that and the team that crafted some of the most realistic dinosaur figures we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, at the time, at the time back in the eighties, this is what we thought dinosaurs looked like. We did. Big lizards. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, however. As science does and, and research does, we now know that more than 90% sure, majority of them were just large chickens. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, which, you know, it doesn't make them any less cool. But for me, you, your quintessential dinosaur is your big-ass lizard It is. has teeth.
1: And I think it's worth noting, and we'll talk maybe a bit more about this in the toy section, but these designs were so authentic, that the Smithsonian Museum picked them up and actually released, like, they had to remove laser guns and aliens because maybe that wasn't as accurate as it could Uh, have been. I
0: don't know. Have you seen action aliens?
1: (laughs) I'm hoping there's a bit of truth to that sort of stuff. (laughs) But they removed all of the armour and all of the the aliens and they repackaged them to sell in their museums, which Mm. I think is a credit to the toys, that they were of a standard that yeah. could meet those sort of requirements.
0: You know what I was always... Oh, we're getting on to the toys again, but this this quick one, this quick one. Um, I was always fascinated by the eyes. Yeah. The eyes of the toys. And they were just so realistic and so lifelike. Yeah. These little marbles or whatever they were, uh, they had the iris, they had the pupil. Uh, Brilliant. They yeah. had a real life to them. And you, know, you, you would believe that that T-Rex is walking around screaming at you and you're running away from it. Oh, gosh. Now, we talked about uh, how they developed the comics and the storyline for the TV show. A little bit of uh, uh, an interesting fact I found when doing my research is that uh, at the time of developing the comic book and TV show, they got comic book writing legend Jerry Conway to uh, come up with some ideas along with his wife, Clara. They fleshed out the backstory and got it ready for a TV series pitch. Now... Jerry Conway sounded very, very familiar for me. I said, where have I heard that man before? Turns out he was a writer on The Amazing Spider-Man. But not only that, he wrote the uh, issues which included The Death of Gwen Stacy and The Death of the Green Goblin back in 120-121, back in the 1970s, which is pretty much the most famous famous Spider-Man storyline there is. Uh, I think we all know... Gwen falling off the bridge and Spidey rushing to save her and slinging his web down. And the web catches her ankle and the whiplash causes her to snap her neck. So the debate's always been whether Spidey killed Gwen Stacy or the Goblin did. Uh, and then, of course, the next issue, the Goblin uh, tries to kill Spider-Man. He doesn't know Spidey has a spider sense. He gets his Goblin Glider to come from behind Spider-Man. As he's talking to him, Spidey gets out the way and he gets pierced through the chest. Amazing storyline. Green Goblin is my one of my favourite characters ever, and Spider Man. Well, my daughter's called Parker, named after Spider Man. So the fact that uh, a man who's so instrumental in a series that I love uh, was basically behind a TV show that I loved as a kid—it's uh, just crazy how the world works sometimes. Um, I don't think I've got any questions for you there. I just sort of but <laughs> it, it to is play that in.
1: it is interesting that point around the creative talent in these spaces so in the comic book industry the famous one being larry harmer of gi joe fame Mm -hmm. you know one of the most famous um writers of the gi joe comics being instrumental in writing the file cards for the gi joe toys and this was yeah so larry harmer did did pretty much all of those wrote a lot of the lore for gi joe so there was a lot bruce tim as well um, of Batman the animated series I was fame say, yeah really? did a lot of the mini comics for he-man the master's universe illustrating a lot of the later comics so this is where a lot of these big name players that we know and love and became staples you know got their start working on working with toy based properties and we sort of think ah it's a throwaway mini comic it's not a very good quality thing because they're just putting it in to sell toys or it's a throwaway tv series but a lot of these creative talents cut their teeth or actually you know had some real talent and were working within the confines of what they had to produce so there's a lot there's a lot of talent here where we time into working on toy-based properties.
0: And I think maybe that reflects the popularity of these uh, subjects as well. Like the TV series, because it was, all right, it's dinosaurs shooting lasers at each other. That in itself sells itself. But uh, the fact that we have these talents behind it, as you said, pushing it forward, as you said, cutting their teeth, yeah. or in Jerry Conway's case, he's already cutting his teeth. They've yeah. got an amazing Spider-Man writer to um, write all this backstory. Uh, I, I think that, plays a lot into you you get the people who know what they're doing and you get the people who are clearly meant for big things to build the world and it works. Like, you don't do the cost-cutting. You don't go for who's cheapest or or friend of a friend of a friend. You actually do the research, you get the right person for the right job and look what happens. It becomes instrumental and we're talking about it 30-odd years later.
1: Yeah, and I don't think you could afford to cut costs in the 80s with the competition that was out there. So, you look at Dino Riders, it came in 1987 it was released look what it's going up against 84 transformers comes out 82 he-man the master of the universe ninja turtles a little bit later but these are huge properties got superpowers in there for dc with their line in in the mid 80s as well so you can't rest on your laurels you've got to bring in the heavy hitters you've got to create things that are interesting for the audience and dino riders to me from a from a toy based concept but also from a story based concept was groundbreaking the quality of the toys and I think when you go to the TV show yes okay there's some some aspects of there that make it hard to watch like a lot of those shows of the 80s and 90s um but at its heart it's got a really quite a cool story I yeah. think you know like there's some really good writing in there yeah um yeah. And, and the characters there's some cool arcs in some of the stories um so yeah some of the animation is a bit iffy and mm. and some of the the parts of it make it a bit hard to watch. But at its heart, like for a reboot, it's it's got all the pieces there to be a very very cool reboot.
0: Oh, absolutely! And speaking of that, uh, I actually pitched a Dino Riders series to IDW. Yep. Uh, back in the day, so many of you may not know this, but uh, I don't do it much anymore. But I used to be a comic book writer, uh, and I met uh, Chris Ryle and Ted Adams, who uh, at the time, one's the uh, owner of IDW, and one was the chief editing officer. Uh, and I got to sit down and sort of go through my uh, my comics with him then he had a look and said oh yeah send me some more through this link blah 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 and I said oh you ever heard of Dino Riders because IDW obviously get a lot of these licenses Ghostbusters, Ninja Turtles blah 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 and he goes no I've never heard of them and I've said oh look all I'm going to say is giant robot uh, sorry di- giant dinosaurs fighting each other with laser beams humans versus aliens good dinosaurs bad dinosaurs yeah I don't think there's much money in that and I said seriously Seriously, and I bugged him for years. Let me write it. Let me write In the end, he let me pitch it. It didn't go anywhere, but I've still got that pitch, and I reckon I might even just write it myself and find myself an artist and call it, like, Dino Raiders or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, so, I, I kept the the main aspects of the story. So, it starts off much like the cartoon did, with them going through space, being chased by the Rulons, so the Valorians running away, and, uh, yeah, Krulos and his... Uh, gang trying to get him. Uh, they lock on the tractor beam. The step crystal jumps through time. They go through a wormhole, land on prehistoric. Basically the same. But my idea was at the end of it, you find out that the Rulons are actually the intergalactic police and the Valorians are a bunch of criminals.
1: Ooh. Yeah. Nice twist. Yeah. Yep. And
0: uh, Questar was actually uh, escaping a murder charge or something. Like, yep. And you found out what's going on there. So you set them up. You actually think you know who the villains and the good guys are, but then it's flipped. Yep. And then you'd realize that, you know, law enforcement's uh, you know, power hungry and evil and power goes to their head and Yes. it comes back around and you're supposed to root for the good guys. But yeah, the end of the I episode kick like was that yeah, the, yep. the roulons Rulons weren't a race of beans because yep. they're all different animals. Yes, correct. So yep. you think, well, "How are they a race of beans?" No, they're actually the police. Yep. Uh chasing down the Valorians who were like this rebel gang. Uh yeah, so that was my pitch. Don't steal it. I'm probably going to write it.
1: So, well, I think I if I recall the comics, there was a three-part comic series released in you know proper comic size. Mm. Uh, I think yeah, under the I've Marvel. Yeah, i the first issue. Yeah, yep. yep. And I, I suspect reading I read them a couple of years back. Uh, got a, got some copies off our good friend Ben Sachs. And the second episode is the internal politics of a of a murder charge. I think yep. Westar and his brother. So it's sort of it's it's cool like to tie in some of those political yeah. elements that are there. To dinosaurs fighting twists. each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's depth. You can have yeah. depth in these things. You can so. have depth of <laughs> dinosaurs
0: shooting each other's faces. All right, let's go into the story. We've already touched on it a bit, but I've got a little bit of a diatribe here. Feel free to cut in whenever you want to comment. Okay, the Valorians were a peaceful race of primarily white humanoids yeah, uh, who lived on Valoria, Valeria, Valoria. Valeria? Valeria. I don't know. It's an accent. For reasons, they were attacked by the Rulons, anthropomorphic animals. But not cute animals like cats or bunnies, but rather slimy, yucky ones like sharks, scorpions, snakes, and their leader, Krulos, was a frog. The Valorians, in their white, blue, and silver costumes, attempted to escape the Rulon assault using the space-time energy projector step uh, on board their very clean and sparkly ship. After being sucked into a wormhole, the Valorians were sent back in time 65 million years to the age of dinosaurs. Unbeknown to them, the Rulon flagship Dreadlock was dragged through as well, refusing uh, oh, refusing to disengage the tractor beam when the step was activated. After successfully landing on prehistoric Earth, the Valorians, led by Questar, the beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed poster boy, used their amp or amplified mental projector—not projectors in this, mm. sorry. Uh, necklaces to telepathically communicate with the dinosaurs they encountered and befriend them. So this was going to be my argument as well. Uh, the uh, Rulons used brain boxes, Correct. which were like brainwashing helmets that the dinosaurs would put on. Their eyes went red and they were being controlled. Whereas the Valorians used their telepathic abilities to talk to the dinosaurs and befriend them. And my whole argument was going to be, no, these animals aren't uh, cognitive. You're, you're just putting them into slave trade. <laughs> like, yeah. like, again, blurring yeah. those lines as to who was actually a good guy and who wasn't. Uh, meanwhile, the Rulons, led by the frog warlord Krulos, used brainwashing devices, used brain boxes to control dinosaurs and turn their eyes red. I should really read through these before I start talking. Uh, that's how you know they're evil. The Rulons launched an attack on the Valorans with the use of a mighty T-Rex, whose color composition did not reflect that of the toy, mm. which we will get into in the second part. The Valorians sprung a surprise, revealing that they too had turned their dinosaur friends into laser-shooting killing machines and assisted them in fighting back. After ultimately defeating the Rulons, the Valorians renamed themselves Dino Riders. Uh, With regard to the dinosaurs and other animals uh, represented in this uh, cartoon, the series shows late Cretaceous species like Tyrannosaurus Rex alongside species from earlier uh, eras, including the... uh, how do you say this, Permian genus Dimetrodon, which wasn't even a dinosaur. Well, it's
1: not a dinosaur, is it? it no. It came, it was very early on. Yeah, uh,
0: 200 million yeah. years before the dinosaurs. <laughs> but it's got like that fin, yeah. which creates a cool shield concept. And wasn't it, it was warm-blooded anyway?
1: Oh, yes, you could be right. Like, which is yes. why it's not a dinosaur, yes. because yep. they
0: were all primarily cold-blooded. Yep. I don't know. I, I need to do some more research. Let's not
1: let facts get in the way the of putting... Facts of a putting, story. Yeah.
0: But really, the Dimetrodon setup was kind of ridiculous.
1: Well, the whole... The point of that was almost like they were hidden. Yeah. The the, the like, thinking, like How no. they hid yeah.
0: is like there was a Demetron standing <laughs> to the side. Of, oh, it's just a Demetron. Don't worry about it. And then the Demetron turned around <laughs> and was like, Here I am behind <laughs> his fin. <laughs> what? Uh, uh, like, you look at some of the designs yeah. and you know, they are pretty hokey. Yeah. Uh, but some are cool as hell. Like, the epic scene you have of the Brontosaurus with its pods on the side and the turrets on its neck. Uh, and then you've got the T-Rex, which is the coolest looking oh, toy yeah. ever. Pretty much. Yeah. It, it's got Krulos on there. Uh, kind of not really good battle strategy to be on a, uh, a stem on the T-Rex's head. Yeah. <laughs> like you're not really safe, but again, Krulos was supposed to be arrogant. So I guess it makes sense. Um, in the final 14th episode, some of the writers are sent back to the Ice Age, providing a new story to tell in a new location, and also, also selling a brand new series of toys, the fourth and final one. Uh, that episode synopsis is as follows. This is where it really jumps the shark. Yeah. After only 13 episodes, it jumps that shark. Um, or oh, what's the big shark-type dinosaur called?
1: Megalodon? Yeah, no, the,
0: the Ithiosaurus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. Uh, something like that. Uh... Never mind that ding. I just had an idea. Uh, the episode synopsis is as follows: Upon the step being repaired, the Dino Riders work to keep it from being claimed by the Rulons. Where an accident sends the uh, sorry, when an accident sends the commando members Astra, Chameleon, Bomber, FaZe, and Glide to the Ice Age, where it leads to them encountering its creatures and a tribe of cro Magnon men led by Zar. As the commandos work to repair the step and reunite with the Dino Riders. They must also help Zar's tribe in their fight against Grom's tribe. Now, you mentioned before you you really didn't come into contact with uh, the cartoon as much. Have you seen that 14th episode? No, I haven't. It is trash. It is really bad. I don't know what happened, but yeah, the basic uh, thing is they accidentally go back in time, encounter Grom, uh, who was a relative of Krulos wow. somehow. Somehow?
1: That's Which is weird because a he was a,
0: a cro man. So he, he was humanoid yep. and, and Krulos was a frog. And last time, I mean, obviously wow. they reproduce asexually frogs. I don't know if that's the case with Krulos. Who, who knows? Who am I to judge? No aspersions here. But um, yeah, Grum being a, a, a relative of Krulos and he just, I don't know, they wanted their Property, they wanted their land, but it was just an excuse to make uh, different toys. So, you had got the woolly mammoth, uh, you got the saber toothed tiger, you got what the uh, sloth,
1: and a killer warthog,
0: and a killer warthog, yep. yes, because they were back in the ice age. uh Yeah, it, it really ended on a real downer, it, it, a real downer.
1: It did, and it is a bit of a step backwards, isn't it? Once you've got dinosaurs to go into ice age.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there was winning. so much more they could have done. Like, unfortunately, each of the episodes were that He-Man type, uh, one and done. Um, oh, we've we've lost our dinner for this evening. Quick, better go and get a special plant. Oh no, one of us is being kidnapped. Don't worry, we'll sneak in and rescue you. And I think they... Because at the end of the first episode, the T-Rex had its brain box knocked off. Yes. And it went wild again, which is uh, how the Valorians were able to win. But... I reckon out of the 14 episodes, there were at least five where it was them hunting down the T-Rex and recapturing it. And it's just like, oh, come on, guys. You can do more than this. Uh, It was just really phoned in. But still, that first episode is really tight. Really tightly written. uh, Sets up the world really, really well, despite the fact that, you know, dinosaurs are just... Although you could argue... All right, this is my writer brain coming in. You could argue if the Valorians and, and whatnot went through a wormhole it's possible that you could have had some kind of time storm and wormholes opening up all around, mm-hmm. and they sucked in other dinosaurs from other eras. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Done. Um, <laughs> another thing I didn't get about the TV series, if we're pointing at plot holes, where'd they get all the metal from to build all the. Uh, I mean, they showed the. Ooh. To be fair, they showed the Rulons mining. Yes. And creating. So they must have had an inbuilt. Uh, smithery on their ship, perhaps. Yeah, who as are we to argue? You, as you do, future tech. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Valorian's like they had everything made out of wood, and then they dropped the wood because it was a facade, and all of a sudden they had pods on dinosaurs and and uh, brachiosauruses that uh, had jets flying out of it and little little dinosaurs flying out of it that they. Tra- oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just being nitpicky. You know what they should do is just let me rewrite it. Yeah, they should. It. Yeah, you should pitch for it. Um. So. Before we uh, take a bit of a break and uh, come back next month for the Toy Talk, what do you think about the cartoon as a whole? Like, comparing it to Masters of the Universe or comparing it to G.I. Joe or some of those other big blockbuster cartoons, where do you think it lies? Uh, Look,
1: I think... Let's rank them. Well, it's, it's a really interesting thing and there's so many different factors you can bring in. I think it's probably not... As a series, it doesn't hit the you know, the standard of maybe some of the other cartoons. I think when you when you do start to rank things, I think Transformers is, is relatively solid. He-Man has some very, you know, cool elements. I think it might fall down a little bit on some of the animation. The animation, they, they still animated He-Man in the US at a time where a lot of them were being outsourced to they Japan. They checked out of that, though. They did, and they used stock, and they had to. And I think... He Man was the first cartoon that was five days a week. You know, it was every day, every weekday from the outset. So, yeah, there, there's there's factors at play here.
0: I do want to point out He Man never used his sword for anything but deflecting <coughs> shots or, yep, or breaking things. Robots. No yep.
1: humanoid or living creatures were ever harmed with the power sword.
0: Dino Riders. No, they just shoot lasers right at your face. Oh yeah, they did not care. <laughs>
1: They were going for your face. Yeah,
0: that's exactly. Yeah. That was, well, I'll burn your face off, you pretty boy Quester. Yeah. Look, so, I mean, my
1: view of Dino Riders is, you know, exercise caution when going back and watching beloved childhood properties, because you may be disappointed oh, yeah. to some degree.
0: Oh, yeah. But, Ninja Turtles, for example. Uh, I remember uh, going back and watching it, and Shredder was voiced by the former Uncle Phil. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a Japanese person. No. <laughs> that is, but, I need to use the bathroom. Yeah,
1: we. but you don't care as a child. Like, that sort of correctness, you know, mm. making sure the characters actually tie in and getting, you know, kind of the right people to voice them. We didn't care. And it's a great voice. Yeah. Like, it might not be the right voice from a kind of accuracy point of view, but it's a cool voice.
0: Yeah. I mean, he so. wasn't menacing. No. It wasn't scary, which I don't think it was supposed to be. I don't
1: think it was. No, so. it
0: is primarily marketed at kids, and yeah. they did very, very well, because, again, you and I were kids back then, and we still have, well, you have a lot more than anyone. Uh, Ninja Turtles just uh, taking up shelf space. Um, oh, man.
1: The other thing I'd point out on the cartoon is the voices, like voice acting. You know, you hear a voice, and you're like, well, that sounds like sounds like optimus prime oh it's peter cullen yes yeah he well, played gunner yeah gunner yeah gunner on the strachiosaurus we actually haven't gone through many of the characters we should probably do that i reckon frank welker might be in there who voiced megatron there, there's if you bring up the imdb you'll find a lot of and that that's the thing i think voice actors in the day you know they might be revered now peter cullen can go around and do the circuit and you know gets autographs as optimus prime but for him, he was just rocking up at his day job, you know, just rock who up at the studio and do a voice.
0: Papa Smurf, I don't know, but I know he was definitely a voice because I remember right. listening to it go, "That's Papa Smurf." Oh wait, voice. Uh, what's Mind's Eye? Yeah, you could be right. I reckon it might have been Mind's Eye. There you eye. go. I am gonna look up the Dino Riders cast right now. And I
1: feel like I just feel like oh, who was the guy that did Doctor Claw? I think it might, maybe that was Frank Welker that did Doctor Claw and that that Krulos, I reckon he did Krulos as well. It's the same voice, right? Pretty much right. The guy that, that did the Inspector Gadget villain Doctor Claw, yep, is loss It has to be.
0: Okay, I don't remember a lot of uh, recognise a lot of these voices, but I'll read uh people. I'll read them out to you, see if any of them uh make any sense. So Questar, the leader, yep, of the Valorians, was uh, Dan Gilzavan. No, don't know. Uh, gil Gilvezant. Yep. Uh, Peter Cullen, of course, was uh, Gunner. Gunner. Uh, Charney, Charlie Adler. He was turret. Frank Welker was Glide. Yep. Some ridiculous names. Uh, of well, the characters, not the actual people. He
1: clearly had a flying apparatus, didn't he? Or he, yeah. flew a, <laughs> he flew a and a... um, What were their
0: parents thinking <laughs> when their kid came out? And Although maybe it's like ancient Japan where you're born with a name and then when you come of age, you get to choose what your name maybe, is. Maybe, yeah. We should go back to that. Uh, Rob Paulson.
1: Oh, was... Rob Paulson. He did Donatello. Oh, he was Funnily enough, uh He did um, Raphael in the original cartoon series. And in the 2012 Nickelodeon series, he did Donatello. That's
0: right. And when they crossed over in that brilliant crossover cut, <laughs> yeah. they were talking to each other, going, what's wrong with your voice? What's wrong with your voice? <laughs> yep. Yeah. That was great. Rob Paulson, there you go. Uh, Cam Clark. Cam Clark. Leonardo. Yep, he did Arrow. And in fact,
1: he did uh, He-Man in the reboot, the Mike Young Productions 2002 cartoon. All right, He played uh, He-Man and Prince Adam. Oh, wow. And Leonardo as well. So yeah, uh, there you go. Jack Angel. Don't know.
0: He was Grom. Uh, Townsend Coleman, Astra, uh, Joe Colligan. He was Youngstar. Okay. Now I'm gonna say Youngstar. He was the one that I liked the most yep. because I was a kid at the time, and he was the cool teen. Who oh, was, he was. He was the rebel, and he yep. was he was on trouble. his own. Yeah. He Wouldn't did, listen was, to no one. Didn't listen to Questar, <laughs> but even though his name was Youngstar, <laughs> it's like, what are you trying can't, to tell me that he's the next in line? Like, yeah, come on, guys. <laughs> Gosh darn it. Uh, Ikey Eisenman. Cub and Christopher Collins. Who voiced Crew loss that uh, That's a is good he... question. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page now. And I is... feel
1: like that's it's it's literally the same voice as Dr. Claw.
0: It might be. Who voiced Dr. Claw? I
1: can't think of the name.
0: Uh, characters. And then we go to Crew Loss, which is Somewhere. Emperor Krulos, Frank Welker.
1: Oh, there you go. Okay.
0: There you go. Uh, Ross, Frank Welker. <laughs> uh, Antor was voiced by Peter Cullen.
1: There you go. It Looks
0: like they just... Uh, Skate was voiced by Frank Welker. Yeah, they
1: just had to do multiple roles, didn't they?
0: Yeah. Um, I wonder how much you got paid back then for being, being a voice actor.
1: Yeah, not a lot, No, I suspect.
0: Which well, is why they had to take up all Maybe, those. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was the cartoon. Uh, we've done a very, very light look at it but man what a what a series you can get it now um much like the figures the anything dino riders has quadrupled in price in the past two years yep uh because you know people our age have come into money and gone hey (laughs) i'm dying slowly let's think back to a happier time when i wasn't (laughs) caring so much about that uh and yeah the prices have jumped astronomically much like the uh dino rider cartoon dvds yeah i managed to pick one up somewhere in my travels it's uh, uh all the episodes on a dvd but the dvd has got like the t-rex and krulos riding it on the front with this green border with love hearts all around yep, it yep another one and dino riders is like in the care bears font yep what
1: it's so bad
0: like what
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's actually
0: quite valuable yeah, yeah. Uh, well i looked on uh Ye old demon eBay site, and it's going for a hundred dollars or something Yeah, so. yeah. Just because people are hungry for these things. Like, well, you can just go on YouTube. People have uploaded them there. Yeah. It's it's not that hard to find, and you get that hundred dollar DVD in the mail, and pop it in, and go. oh, <laughs> I could have eaten food with that money.
1: <laughs> it is, yeah, look, it is. I think I bought uh, like a best of kind of DVD. Right. And so it's it, one episode. Yeah. <laughs> It's more than that. I think it's about five. But I tell you, it's just like it's been ripped off a VHS. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Yeah, I, mean, I it's think... atrocious quality.
0: Well, it makes me wonder, because we hear, especially in the game industry, just putting on my Hack the Dino hat for a bit, um, that quite often these things are sort of... Um, just forgotten about after they're released, especially the early ones. We yeah. saw it a lot with Doctor Who back yep. in the fifties um, and sixties. The episode would air, and they go, "Oh yeah, whatever," and just record over the master tape, yeah. and then they're yeah. gone, lost forever. And it's only now that people go, "Oh, what about what about that classic stories? Final Fantasy VIII, the source code no longer exists anywhere wow. because they lost it. Yep, and that game has never been re released because they can't. Yep, they don't have the source code. Um, so which is why." Uh, preservation of this type of stuff is very, very important. Um, and just looking at your toy collection here, is that kind of one of the reasons? We'll get into this a lot in the next episode, but as a sort of a teaser, is that one of the reasons why you collect? I mean, for me, collecting Nintendo stuff is uh, part of video game preservation. I want to make sure that this stuff is here for other people to know that down the line, you know, when they get a museum one day and I donate all my stuff to there that uh, people have the opportunity to experience where all this stuff came from how much of that is involved with your collecting
1: it wasn't a consideration when I first started like I said back in the, the late 90s I just wanted to collect cool stuff that I liked. like yeah. go to the shelves you know buy new Star Wars toys that Kenner were putting out go into the second hand stores and pick up all that stuff that I remembered so it was the furthest thing from my mind that could be possible but now Definitely, that is a factor. Um, I, I think very much about the preservation. You know, here's a line. Here's what it looked like. Here it is. I col- collect a lot, mint on card, mm. mint in box. You know, that's a big part to me of the era of cap- capturing what that feeling was like to go into a toy store to see those those packages, and they were the graphic designs of that era. It's is, so good. Yeah, it's just it's, it's like so good. It's a it's a lost art, I think, to some degree. Um, the graphics, the artwork on there. A lot of, you know, Dino Riders, when we we look at the box art, you know, it's an oil-based painting. You know, it's an artist that is doing these things. I
0: would do anything to have those prints. Yeah. Like, to get... uh, Not even the original, just big prints of those battles. Majority of people have seen that amazing... huge span i mean i can't remember what box set it's on but you know you know the one i'm talking about with the t-rex in the middle yeah. and you've got the brontosaurus on the other side of it yep it's not it's not the brachiosaurus set it might be the diplodocus one yep um but yeah the art is just phenomenal yeah it's phenomenal
1: it's first class so to, to me that's a big part of you know you can, you can go to a flea market and you can find a sort of battered old toy but to really bring you back that quality of packaging and box Mm. art is to me a big part of it. So I'm, I'm very careful with the preservation side. Um, you know, like as you can see in this room, it has no windows. There's no UV light here to fade any of the artwork on the boxes or damage.
0: We're actually sitting in the dark. Yeah. Um, We're not, I'm not allowed to breathe. I'm breathing into a mask. Make sure. (laughs) And we've got a cone over us just (laughs) sucking up the air. Um,
1: but yeah. And, and ultimately I think, you know, like I'm, I'm nearing 40. um, what, what do you do with this stuff as you get older? And my longer-term goal would be to kind of, you know, either open up a museum and, mm-hmm. and have a museum or eventually donate this stuff to a museum where people can come in and enjoy it and kind of relive the memories.
0: You know, I, it's something I've been playing with for about a year. Like, I would like a museum yeah. to sort of have, Like, just a non-for-profit somewhere. Yep. Just someone to donate a warehouse and to set it up and people can come and look and there's a card there that you can read about these yeah. figures when they were released and then you can go and see these box Nintendo games and you can look at the Virtual Boy and go, what the hell is that? Yeah. And read it and maybe even use it. And and I, yeah, I think uh, I think it needs to happen and I'm sure there are plenty of people in Australia. And that's the thing as well, being in Australia, yeah. we got a lot of releases that the other world uh, parts of the world did not. A lot of this stuff uh, that you find online, a majority of it comes from America or the UK. Yep. There's not a lot of Australian uh, registry of all this type of of toys and video games and that kind of stuff. Yeah, we we should uh, we should look into that. Yeah, I think it
1: definitely. It, uh, I, being the accountant, I've sort of done done a few costings. Yep. And it's a, it's an expensive endeavor to mm. kind of configure, but I think there's there's something that could be achieved where you know, like you say, big warehouse. Different people bring in different collections and and have it you know curated nicely and and sounds set like up something that. the
0: government should really support. I think it.
1: I think there's something in that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Stay tuned. Alright. Anyway, this is the end of episode one talking about Dino Riders the cartoon series. We did a little bit. Uh, episode two we'll be talking about Dino Riders the toy line. Uh, that'll be coming up next month. But until then, Trent, where can they find out some stuff about you?
1: Well, if you like chatting toys, we do a weekly podcast called Toy Power Podcast with Ben, Darren, and Frank. Uh, that's probably the best place to catch up. There's obviously all the socials, Facebook, et cetera. But, yeah, we, we just, you yeah, know, can't stop me talking about toys. Just love it so much. So, yeah, that's cool. where you'll find me, hanging out either in various toy rooms across uh, Adelaide or in the toy aisles of various toy shops.
0: Or in markets. But don't, don't talk to him if you see him in markets because he's on the hunt and he gets, like, you know Gollum when he... <laughs> Gollum in Lord of the Rings, when you, you try and grab the ring off him, you just. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, not a pretty sight. Anyway, if you uh, don't know already, I'm part of Hack the Dino, a video game nonsense podcast where we talk about all the video game news. You can find us on YouTube, on Spotify, and all the podcast services. So check that out, Hack the Dino. Until next month, thank you very much, Trent Chickurelli. Check, check. Cookurelli. That's the one. You got it. Yeah. Yeah.